You're listening to Trucking Questions from the Audio Road with Kevin Rutherford. This is the show that puts the money where it belongs, back in your pocket. You can ask questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, tax, technology, or anything else about the business of trucking. Here we go. Let's head on down the audio road. Welcome to the program. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. The show, well, it's all about the business of trucking. If you've got questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, taxes, technology, well, you're in the right place. That's what we do here. We take your calls and we answer your questions about all that stuff, about business, trucking, money, fitness, goal setting, you name it. We'll tackle it here on the air. All you have to do is pick up the phone and join us. We're going to get to those calls in just a little bit. I have been talking a lot lately about the book I'm working my way through. Uh, it's about willpower. Really, really good book. I finally finished it today, my first run through. I'm actually going to go through and read it again. This time, Lisa and I are going to do it together, maybe uh, a chapter a day. Um, so I think it'll take us 10 days to do that. And by the time we finish that, there's a course offered through Stanford University uh, from the author. And based on this book, we're going to start that course. I really believe I, that this is one of the most important books I've read in the last 10 years or so. And certainly makes my top five of all time. Maybe it's just the way it's written. It strikes a chord with me, but there's a lot of data in here that I haven't heard before. A lot of really good information about why we behave the way we do. And more importantly, how you can work to change the behaviors you don't like and create better behaviors. Or we could also use the word habits. And uh, that was what led me to this book. I was studying habits and I read three or four different books on habits that were really good. And it led me to the idea of willpower. So you'll be hearing much more about this book. We are going to do a podcast on it soon. And I'd love to get the author on. We're not sure if we're going to be able to do that yet, but we'll give it a shot. One of the things I learned this morning and I didn't learn it. I just had it verified. I have always believed this. And I think I've mentioned this other times on the show. I'm sure I have. And that is the fact that diets just don't work. It's been proven over and over and over and over. The data is staggering. Not only do diets not work, they are detrimental to your health and your weight. Both diet people who diet end up weighing more than people who don't diet, even if they started at the same weight. People who diet gain more weight over time than people who don't. And it's not just the fact that they were susceptible to gaining weight. It's not their metabolism. It's not their genes. It is the dieting causing the problems. And I have said this many times. Diets are restrictive. They're negative. Every time you hear the word diet, people cringe because it, it, it is taking something away. We don't like to have to take things away. So what you have to do is just create a lifestyle, not a diet. And one of the things that, that the book talked a lot about, and I've always believed, but again, 
a lot of validation in here from studies is that the best way to change is not to limit foods. It's to add healthier foods instead. Now, if you have something real, well, I, based on the studies, they really say you shouldn't make an attempt to cut anything out of your diet. It, it will fail and backfire over time. So, you know, all the guidelines of, well, if you drink diet soda, just stop. It's probably a good idea because diet soda is poison, but it doesn't work. So what you should do instead is drink healthier items. Maybe it's uh, green or white tea or water is really the best thing to drink. You could survive your entire life drinking nothing but water. Nothing else is required as far as liquids. You don't need milk, although milk can be healthy at times. You don't need it. All you need to drink for the rest of your life is water. Imagine that. Doesn't mean you can't drink other things. And that's the point. Don't, don't tell yourself, I can't drink diet soda. It won't work. Just tell yourself, I'm going to drink more water. Maybe I'm going to drink one um, small serving of good fruit juice a day or some white tea or some green tea or coffee. Um, but just try to add healthier items instead of taking away the unhealthy items. I talked the other day about how, I, how bad I thought the Adkins diet was. It was horrible. Worst thing I've ever tried as far as eating. And if you look at it, it is severely restrictive. There's 10,000 things you can't eat on Adkins. And that just makes me miserable. Instead, I realized that simple carbohydrates are bad. I get that. So what I did was just try to add more complex carbohydrates to my diet. I didn't try to eliminate pasta or white rice. I know those are bad things, but I didn't try to eliminate them. And, and if they're there, I don't really avoid them. I'll eat them. If I go somewhere or if I'm cooking and, and one of those items is available or easier, I'll eat it. Don't try to avoid it. But what I do is try to focus on more complex, better carbohydrates. I, I like uh, brown rice pasta, I think is actually better than, than semolina pasta. So it's almost all I eat now. If I eat pasta, it's brown rice. It's a more complex carbohydrate, and I don't eat a ton of it, and I don't eat it every day. But if I want pasta, I don't have to say no. I just eat something a little healthier. You don't have to make big changes. In fact, big changes are, are harder to sustain. Make little changes. Add healthier items to your diet. And, and really balanced, I think is better. You know, the, the Adkins is so restrictive to proteins. Um, the new fad of paleo diets, very, very extremely restrictive. There are so many foods you can't eat on those diets. It is a surefire way to fail. Now, there are a lot of people saying, boy, that Kevin's an idiot. He doesn't know. I, I started dieting 10 years ago. I lost a hundred pounds and I've never gained it back. Kevin's just an idiot. You're right. Not that I'm an idiot. You're right. If that's what happened to you, if that's what your experience is and your experience would tell you that I'm wrong because you have firsthand proof and I can't argue that. And there's no need to. There are exceptions to every rule. 
The problem is we see the exceptions all the time. We don't see the data, the studies, the research. We have to go looking for that. And even that can be very confusing because the research and studies are all over the board. Everybody who develops a diet will go find 15 studies as to why their diet works. But after reading thousands of diets and studying the the effects and looking at it, it's really clear to me that a balanced, non-restrictive diet is much better. Here's one other goal, very, very simple goal to shoot for and just try to do a little more of it each day. And that is just try to eat your foods as close to their natural state as possible. Think about that. If you could pick something off a tree and eat it or off a plant or dig it, dig it up out of the ground and eat it or kill an animal and eat it, that is the food at its closest to its natural state. It hasn't been processed. Nothing's been added to it. Nothing's been taken away from it. It, it's us screwing around with our food that has is, that is really hurt our health and our weight. And it, just keep that in mind. Don't try to restrict too much and try to eat your food as close to its natural state as possible. Now, that's plenty to get you started. After you did that for 60 or 90 days, maybe even longer, then maybe start working on portion control. See, if you do too much all at once, you're, you're bound to fail. You didn't gain all this weight in six months, probably gained it over six years or more. But don't try to do it all at once and, and don't restrict. Um, it, so here's the thing. I want to go back to why people will think I'm just wrong about this, because they see the exceptions. They see their friend that did this, their brother-in-law, their cousin, or they did it. And it worked. And, and they say, well, of course it works. I saw it. Everybody else just doesn't do it right. That's why it didn't work for them. Everybody else didn't have enough willpower. That's why it didn't work for them. They weren't strong enough. That's not true. And if you look at the odds, you know, somebody, somebody will succeed on a diet. There's no question. Somebody will succeed in a lease purchase. Somebody will succeed running a business without knowing any of their numbers or doing any of their accounting. It'll happen, happens every day. Somebody will win the lottery. That happens every day too. But if winning the lottery is your retirement plan, boy, do you have a long hill to climb and a lot of odds to try to beat. But it's the same with all those other things. If you look at the real statistics, the odds of succeeding on a diet, a lease purchase plan, or running a business without a numbers, the, the odds are stacked against you. Why would you do it that way? Why not do it the way it works for more people? You call me and tell me. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Don't go away.
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. We're going to get right to the phone calls. Let's start off in Texas. Sean, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. Thank you for taking my call. I uh, just wanted to comment about uh, what you've been talking about the last couple of weeks about you know the willpower. I firmly agree about that. I, it's, uh, that's the one thing that keeps me from losing 20 pounds and uh, having extra trucks on my fleet because um, it's just uh, not motivated to, to do the hard work and watch what I eat. And, uh, you know, I don't really have an excuse, but I have been uh, counting my calories like I used to, and that has always worked best for me to stay lean. It's just uh, ever since I got into the trucking industry, I, that's where I put on all my weight because I went from a very active job to very sedentary. But uh, my, my comment, uh, or I want to talk about uh, fleet air filters. I okay. just got mine for my Freightliner Cascadia. Okay, good. What do you think? I, well, well, it's uh, unfortunately I'm not going to give you a one day forecast because <laughs> I still yeah, need a little right. time. But uh, I'm going to call back in 45 days and let you know because it's going to go in the shop then to get some overhead work. Uh, you know, just get a lot of maintenance and service done. So I know my fuel economy will increase. But uh, I've picked up about one, maybe two pounds of boost on a lot of the hills that I climb. And I run Texas Central, dedicated. I've run about 15 shippers and receivers. That's it. I know all the roads. Every every hill has a name. So I know exactly how much effort it takes to every hill. But right. I definitely can tell the difference. I mean, it sounds like, I mean, it makes it, it's actually the truck's fun to drive again. And it's uh, just, just having that one little modification. Um, I thought, you know, it, it's hard to measure. And I'll find out in a couple of days when I get my scan gauge. Cause I used to have one and I, um, Somebody stole it out of my truck, so uh, I had. Oh, a, uh, kidding! I had. Well, that's, you're a, you're a hot. Well, I didn't. I had the 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 D that I bought years ago. I had it for about three years, and um, it, it got stolen. Never replaced it. I had another gauge that I had for bully dogs, so and that finally broke on me last week. So anyway, I'm gonna buy yours, and um, you know, uh, have all have more settings. I'm gonna track everything because I know exactly how much horsepower this truck makes. At the wheels, and um, it's very accurate to the scan gauge. So I'm hoping to see what the difference is, the boost. But I know I'm cruising. I'm doing 53 right now at 1150 RPM, and I'm pushing about three pounds boost. Wow, and that's, that's a little bit nice. lower than I have been. And this is just this is a 2015, 2010 uh, Cascadia with the GD15. Yeah, um, that, that's you know the the. The, that filter, they worked a long time on. They have a ton of research and development. That was a very tough filter to design and build, but it is also the, the filter that showed the biggest improvement on a flow bench. Oh, my God. I, do you know what the numbers are? I forgot to ask Jeff at uh, Fleet Air about that. No, I, 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 I know I saw him and I talked to him about it, but I didn't really, it didn't really register with me. I, I should go back and get those, though, because they do a ton of, of flow testing. This stuff isn't just, you know, oh, let's make a foam filter because we know it'll be better. We know foam is better, but you still have to design things properly. And they put a lot of work into testing retesting and, and tweaking until they get the best possible flow through that filter. Well, I can't wait to give you some numbers. I, I you know, I, you know, as they say, the butt dyno definitely feels like it has a lot more power. You know, I, I literally am at 53 miles an hour. That's pretty much as fast as I go 99% of the time. Um, and, uh, I mean, I, I have the type of line of work that I do where my average day is like 400 miles, so I got all day to go slow. Um, and I, yeah. I, I run I run back roads, so I, I rarely ever see highways. Um, so this is where I've noticed the big game. But I want 
I'm probably going to keep my truck for one more year. Um, I'm trying to keep it as long as I can before spending a fortune on BPF work because these 2010s, we've had a lot of problems with our company. Um, okay. I, I plan on getting another Cascadia. I'm trying, I'm fighting with my company to let me get a glider kit. I've never been out of Texas, and they don't want me to get one because of California emissions, which is ridiculous. Yeah, so, it is. I'm waiting for the green light because uh, I'd rather have a, uh, a Kenworth than a, another Cascadia. It's the only reason why I'm considering to get another one is uh, the auto shift, the uh, DC-12. Um, right. Because I, I run city all the time. I'm yeah. Running, you know, Dallas. But at any rate, um, I'm looking to buy a fast system for this truck. And have you seen any numbers, any returns on the Cascadia versus um you know, the Cascadia was similar to the fleet air filter fast. You know, it took them a while to develop that. And I know they were working with a lot of people testing it early on. And the results were really promising. But you know what? I forgot to follow up with Brad um, and ask him what their overall results have been now that they've had it out for a while. But I do remember the early results on the fast were really promising. One of the reasons I believe... The DD-15 is one of the engines that returns very, very little fuel to the tank. It actually recirculates fuel, I believe. Um, There are some engines on the market now that recirculate fuel, not necessarily back to the tank. And what happens is that that actually creates more air than the older engine. You know, if, if the fuel gets returned to the tank, when it gets returned, it's aerated from all the turning and then it hits the tank and it picks up air but over time that air can settle out of the tank somewhat but if if the engines that just recirculate the fuel they're holding a lot more air and the fast becomes even more important on some of these new engines than the older engine okay well i'm gonna i'll probably wait uh 90 days and have that installed and try to get some numbers. I mean, Cascadia's are going to be a dime a dozen. I mean, they're already already at that point now, but in a few years, when it's harder to get, uh, you know, pre-emission trucks, you know, in five years yeah. from now, everybody is going to try to look for the, the lesser of all evils, which I consider this truck. I mean, I've had this truck for four and a half years, paid off. It's a great truck, but it's not spectacle how slow I go. This is a fast truck. Um, yeah. And, yeah. you know, I, I'm, I'm waiting for like a 16 Evolution, because I drove one uh, when my truck was in the shop for a week, and I jumped about 1.3 miles per gallon, and that was with a 10-speed, um, yeah. just just so I could get back on the road. My company, which I love dearly, they, they, they're off. They you know, were able to give me another truck to drive, and uh, you know, I didn't get the beat. You know, four and a half years, all I had a week of downtime. But yep. I also took care of the truck. Yeah, yeah and, and there's no question. And, and like I say, that they're out there. The odds... I look at odds. I I really do in so many things. And the odds are getting better somewhat on the newer trucks. The the evolution has had really good results. The odds still aren't there for me. I'm not ready to buy new yet. But And I've said, we'll get there. I don't know when. We'll get there. The sooner the government gets out of our way and stops imposing new restrictions and new mandates, the sooner that happens, the sooner the OEMs will be able to settle down, figure out the technology, get it to work right, and we'll have new dependable trucks with killer technology. I'm looking forward to 
a lot of the advances that we could have, we just have to get through these engine problems. For me, it's all odds. The odds are still stacked against a new truck, and I'm not willing to do that yet. For the people who either have to or have chosen to, I love it when it works. And, and for you, it worked. Let's go to Kansas. Tom, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. Thank you. Uh, back when you mentioned the Blue Monday sale for the Maxwell engine start manual or modules, I bought one, but I have not installed it yet. But thank you for mentioning the sale on them. And what I'm thinking about with the installation is uh, I have a W9, so I have a bank of four batteries down in the battery box by the driver's door. And okay. I want to maintain I want to maintain those four batteries. And so I was thinking about putting the Maxwell engine start back by my APU and dedicating a battery to just you know buying another battery and dedicating that single battery to the APU and the engine start module and to maintain the charge on that battery with the generator because I don't always use that generator. I was going to run a battery tender from my inverter that goes to the bank of four batteries back to that uh, single battery that I have for the generator. And so I was thinking if that sounds like it would be a, a sensible way to go about it. It could work. And I'm, I'm trying to think through some other options for you. I, I'm not wild about it for a couple reasons. One, the more batteries we attach to the Maxwell, the better it becomes because the, the Maxwell draws its power from the other batteries. And, and when we do the crank down test, you know, start the truck, turn it right off, start it again, turn it right off, start it again. You know, and you'll get four or five or six starts off the Maxwell right in a row. And then you can turn the key off and only have to wait a couple minutes and it'll draw all that power from those other batteries, and it'll do it again. Four, five, six, seven starts. Turn it off. Wait a couple minutes. You can do that over and over and over and over because those other four batteries hold a lot of voltage, but they can't deliver it really well. But the, the Maxwell is kind of the go-between. The Maxwell says, hey, you, you guys have energy. Just give it to me, and I'll get the truck started. When we put it on one battery, you're going to be – severely limited i mean you're only going to have one fourth of the starting power you had not not the starting power the starting duration the beauty of the maxwell is you get starting power every time it fires off but you will run out of attempts because you don't have enough feeding it um, that may not be a big deal I, when we get back i'm going to talk a little bit more about that maybe we can think through some other ideas we'll be right back i'm kevin rutherford
Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. I was talking with Tom in Kansas about some batteries in a Maxwell. Tom, you still with me? Yep, I am, Kevin. Okay, so that's one downside, not a huge one. I mean, you might say, well, you know, look, I, my batteries, I keep them in good condition. Um, the Maxwell, if I ever need it, you know, my truck's probably going to fire off in the first two or three attempts. So that's not a big deal. And it might not be. Um, the other thing that I see as a downside, not a huge downside, um, is how inefficient the charging system became to the generator. What I mean by that is every time we convert energy, we lose energy. We, we don't have a very efficient means. So if we look at that system, your alternator is generating power, sending it to your batteries. We lose some efficiency there. The batteries have to power an inverter. We lose quite a bit of efficiency there. The inverter has to run the battery tender. We lose efficiency again. And the battery tender is working on the battery. It's kind of a convoluted system. It's not horrible. Um, it's just something that if I could think of a better way, I might. Um, if I couldn't come up with a better way, this system will work. It, and there aren't any huge downsides to it. Um, the how much room do you have closer to your your four batteries now is there space somewhere within well, say you know three i could or shift three? the batteries i could shift batteries over and still maintain four batteries in that box and put the maxwell in there uh and that would work it's just uh you know i was thinking you know that having it isolated away from the other batteries i would well it is uh, isolated now, see, that's yeah. the thing. We, we isolate the Maxwell by default. We only wire it to the starter. It, it can't yeah. power anything else. And then, so that's the beauty. We, the, the fact that you put a Maxwell in, it is already isolated from everything. What we don't want to isolate it from, though, are those batteries. The more batteries okay, so we connect, I, it, the better it does. If I drop or just take one of the batteries out instead of shifting. So I have three batteries and then the Maxwell in there. Does that really uh, limit my hotel load? Yeah, it, it cuts uh, it down by one. Yeah, it cuts it down by 25%. So that it, you know, try to shift that. ideally, if you could keep all four batteries, but put the Maxwell in with them, that really is okay. the best setup. It, it gives you the most options and it's the least convoluted. And I, I was trying to think of any advantages to having the Maxwell over there with another battery and a generator. I'm just not coming up with any. I, I don't see any advantage to doing it that way. And I see a couple downsides. All right. Well, I certainly appreciate your opinion. Well, thanks for the call. And either way, I mean, no matter which way you choose to set this up, it's going to work really well and you're going to love it. So if you just like that other configuration, Go ahead and do it. Uh, the downsides are pretty small, really. Let's go to Idaho. Lewis, welcome to the program. Uh, yes, can you hear me there, Kevin? I can. Go ahead. Okay, I'm talking to you on a CB Bluetooth here. Uh, uh, yeah, I've talked about doing the hard work. Uh, I'm doing it as we speak because this is where I'm supposed to take my hour and a half beauty nap. During the day. Oh, that's right. I, I need, uh, I calculated and I need about six and a half hours of beauty naps every day and it's not doing much. Right, right. 
Hey, uh, I'm out of the Dallas area. Um, I'm a single guy. Uh, I got a little bit of money saved up. Uh, got a couple of, I guess what you call, unsecured credit cards. Um, I've done this a few times. I'll get, leave a company, and then I'm going to buy my own truck, and then I just get sidetracked, uh, cause basically because I don't continue to listen to you on the radio. Um, okay. I'm not going to make the mistake this time. Um, huh. I'm going to get 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 all focused, and because uh, months will go by and thousands just fly right out these days. So anyway, right. um, I don't mind. I, I, I'm a little. I, I hear what you say about you know you can fly here or go here to find. Don't be afraid to go. You know, 500 miles to get a get a truck. Uh, one of these uh, used trucks, like you talk about, but um, I wouldn't hesitate, like, going to Kansas City or Oklahoma City or San Antonio or Houston out of the Dallas area, you know, kind of move up there, work for his little shop somewhere, get greasy, kind of learn things, and spend a month or two looking for one of these trucks. Do you know the best market for that? Yeah, I do. It's the whole country. Um, the, it doesn't mean you have to shop around the whole country, but because the internet makes it so easy, um, where I choose to get the truck is almost not even a consideration for me. My first consideration is find designing the best truck, the truck that I absolutely want. And, and I design my perfect truck. The odds of finding it exactly like that are slim to none. But it gives me a scorecard. It gives me a way to say, here's my perfect truck. Now I can compare every other truck to it. How close does it come? And that's my criteria. Where it is doesn't matter to me. I mean, if I did a search and it, it you know, the truck came up in Canada somewhere, if it was right, I might go get it there. It really, it, it's the truck that's critically important, not where I get it. Um since you're going to take your time and I love the way you're doing it this time, you know, go work in a shop, you know, have a plan. Don't be in a hurry. If you are not in a hurry and yeah. let's say you give yourself a timeline of six months with six months, I have a better shot of looking in a smaller area and finding what I want. But if I want to get my truck in 30 days, I need to make that area bigger. Does that make sense? So, so what you're doing, if you're giving yourself enough time, then you could use a, a local market or kind of a regional where maybe you have to travel, you know, even as far as six or seven hours somewhere to go look at a truck, um, wouldn't be out of the question. So, but other than that, your, your specific question about, is there a better market? I would say that the closer you stay to Northern Arkansas, Southern Missouri, that area is, is, in my opinion, kind of truck central for the U.S. I mean, think of all the huge trucking companies that are in that area. You know, Joplin, that, that whole area through there, Southern Missouri, Northern Arkansas, that kind of, um, that region has tons and tons of trucks. Other than that, you know, you've got to get up into more of the East coast and the Northeast to get that kind of volume. And I, I just, I don't like it up there. Uh, plus you get into a lot of salt. So if you've got a truck that spent most of his life up in, you know, the Northeast new England area, 
um, even kind of the Midwest, you're going to get, you know, trucks that are in worse condition. So I think your best bet would be around the Joplin area. That's fantastic because uh, I have some friends that I met in 06 when I first started trucking that have a place in Joplin. In fact, I just met them uh, a few days ago uh, in Vegas for breakfast. They're expediters now. So, yeah, that's great. Uh, yeah, that's a great area for trucks. Everything truck-related is there. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and uh, one of, just one other question um, on a credit card, say, and you get, I get 11.99%. I got a $10,000 unsecured credit card, you know, with whatever. Um, yeah. Oh, excuse me. Let me turn this off. Would that be considered, say, if you were to go and they say, we're going to charge a 16.10 interest because you're a new new owner operator? Would that, would that, you see what I'm saying? The correlation? Um, yeah, ab- absolutely. 16%. Go ahead. Yeah, there, there's two advantages to this. And I did this once. I, I bought a $30,000 truck on four credit cards. It, and it made total sense. It was a time in my career where I couldn't get a great interest rate, but I had some pretty good offers on credit cards. And here's the other advantage. Now, we don't want to plan for failure, but if there's a strategy that has other advantages and, and also kind of helps us if things go wrong, if you take a secured loan against the truck to borrow money to buy the truck and they put a lien on it, what happens when you don't make your payment? Yeah. They come and take the truck and now you can't work and you can't make any money. So the odds of you paying it back now are slim to none. If you finance it on credit cards and you miss your payments, they don't come take the truck because they can't. Right, right. So, I, I, so that's not the, not the main reason for doing it, but it's certainly back there saying, hey, you know, if I have a couple rough months it, and I want to try to salvage this, they can't come take the truck if I don't make the payments on the credit cards. The real reason for doing it, the fact that you can probably get a better interest rate. So, yeah, I think that is a good plan. Um, there are lots of people that say that's you're crazy. Why would you take on all that credit card debt? Debt is debt. I mean, if you're going to take on debt, let's just look for the best way to take it on. It's my opinion anyway. Stick around. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. All right, a quick heads up. We're heading into the uh, fourth segment. At the end of this, I'll say I'm done. I've got to get out of here, all that stuff. Hang out. We're going to do another hour. We've got plenty of calls right now. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. We're down to the final segment. We're going to get right back to the phone calls. Let's head off to Indiana. Jason, welcome to the program. Good uh, good evening, Kevin. Sure is good to talk to you again. 
Great to have you here. What can I help you with today? Well, I got all my numbers entered in to profit gauges, and I thought maybe we could take a minute to go over them, take a look at them. We can. Why don't you? Uh, you know what I'm going to do, though, um, because I, I, I don't multitask well. So me trying to talk and find your account is almost impossible for me. Um, what I'm going to do is I'm going to put you back on hold. I'm going to have uh, Lisa pick you back up. And we can, that way she can find the account for me. I can go in there and we can go over your numbers with me being able to look at them as well. So uh, we will come back to you uh, and we'll be back to you in just a couple minutes. Let's go to Kansas. Dan, welcome to the program. Hey, Kevin. Thanks for taking the call. I have a couple of questions and a comment. Um, I'll go in order of importance. My first question is, Every truck I've ever owned has four batteries, and you have two that are jumped together uh, at the batteries, so two paired, you know, two pairs, and then you have the hots coming off of that, usually going to the starter, and then you have a, a ground going to the frame. So you have four batteries in parallel, but two are paired directly at the batteries. The other two. You know the the and then the two pairs are paired at the frame and at the starter. My question is, uh, why do they do it that way? I'm thinking there must be a good reason because every truck I've ever owned, every truck I've ever seen is built that way. You know that's a good question, and I don't have the answer. Uh, it, as long as we keep all the positives together and all the negatives together. Um, we're just building a 12 volt system that has more capacity. Every time we add a battery, if we just keep positive and negatives together, we're, I think that's called in parallel. Um, parallel. Yeah. Okay. I always get the words mixed up. Um, no matter how many batteries we add, we still end up with just 12 volts, but what we end up with is much more capacity when we put them, um, parallel or, now I just forgot the other word uh, in tandem. Well, series, series yeah. would be the opposite of parallel. You would be stacking your voltages. If you took two 12 volts, you would have a 24 volt system. If you had them in series, none of the yeah. trucks are, are done that way. Obviously they all run 12 volt systems. Um, yeah. Now what you, what you do see a lot in RVs is using six volt batteries in series to create 12 volts and for some reason, it's more efficient uh, for hotel loads. And I'm, I don't have a deep enough understanding of electricity to know why. I, I have to believe that there are a couple factors that go into the way they wire trucks. And I'm just really kind of speculating on this. Um, most decisions on trucks are made purely on cost. And people think, well, it's a $130,000 truck. What is a couple dollars in cables? A couple dollars in cables times hundreds of thousands of trucks produced is huge. And it's the accountants that build trucks, not the engineers. The engineers get to design the way they'd like a truck to be made. And the accountants say, you can't do that. You can't do that. You can't do that. You got to take this away. We need to cut costs over here. And, and don't think for a second that anything is ever different. It is the accountants that get to make the final decisions. My guess is that there's a cost factor in why they wire them that way? Well, I've been trying to find the answer to that question for years 
at least three years now. I, I've talked to uh, a Peterbilt engineer in Denton, Texas. Uh, his answer was just do it the way the truck came from the factory. Uh, I, I've <laughs> I hate to, answers like that. Yeah, yeah. that's not I've an answer. To, uh, I've talked to all the battery uh, suppliers. I've talked to countless mechanics. No one knows. I've even talked to the guys over at Maxwell because uh, I, I just recently put a start module in there. Uh, nobody knows, but what has me wondering so so badly is uh, about a year yeah about a year ago I put four new batteries in the truck. Wait and a minute, I have I have another thought. I I think that everything you just told me strengthens the fact that cost might be an overriding factor. <laughs> we're, if we're talking to engineers people who totally understand batteries and electrical systems way better than I do, people who build the trucks, if they can't give you a solid reason, which which would seem to be obvious, if there's a reason, somebody should have known it. If they can't give you a reason, maybe it, it just is cost. Now, the other thing that I'm thinking is that maybe it's the amount of power we want to send across one line. I don't, I don't know. I, I yeah, don't have the, I'm probably going to default to just cost. Uh-huh. Yeah. The, uh, the current going through, you know, one, one, one cable that, that could be an issue. That's something I've considered. What, uh, what really sent me down this journey trying to figure out the answer to this question about a year ago, I put four new batteries in the truck. My mechanic at the time said, Hey, run a jumper between the two pairs that are not jumped, you know, at the batteries. Okay, sounds like a good idea. Well, ever since then, I've had a lot of corrosion on the terminals. And I I used the same brand uh, batteries that I had in there previously. So it got me thinking, you know, is that uh, maybe caused by jumping all four? Um, I've talked to a couple of electrical engineers since. They say, no, that shouldn't be causing it. But I don't know. It just kind of makes me wonder. Um, that that's interesting because that, so, you know, sometimes it's those real world experiences that tell us things the engineers don't even know. Uh, right. I, I see all the time. The engineers kept telling us what RPM we should be running these engines at. And yet in the <laughs> real world, we found out that's just not true. Yeah. Well, what I'm going to do is uncouple my two pairs, put it back the way it was before the way it came from the factory. And I'm going to run run those batteries like that uh, for a while. The only problem is that I put a Maxwell start module in, so that kind of changes Another you know, down down to three batteries. So that that may taint the results there. But, uh, but I just you know figured what? I'd throw it out there, and I wondered if uh, you've ever considered doing a a segment on the show where you could uh, stump Kevin Rutherford and. Oh well, you. If, if you don't, I don't. If, I don't have to do a segment. I think it happens every day, um, <laughs> and it seems to happen more and more often now. You know, seven years ago we started the show. I hardly ever got stumped, but I wasn't digging well, into topics, and we weren't talking about as many topics. Now we dig deeper. I, I get stumped almost every day. Well, when you add. Uh, five computers to a truck and three emission systems that, that's going to stump everybody so <laughs> that's right yeah I have another exactly quick question I have another quick sure, question if you have the time 
Um, do you have any numbers, are there any numbers anywhere on the difference in rolling resistance between the same model tire, a 24 and a half and a 22 and a half? Uh, not that I'm aware of. I, I want to, uh, and I'm probably going to do it soon. We're, I'm going to hit the road here in a while. We haven't figured out our schedule yet, but we're going to start heading south because I'm kind of tired of the uh, winter in Oregon right now. It's not bad, but I'd love to see some sunshine and warm weather. So I think we're going to jump in the RV and head south and then start working our way east. Uh, in March, we have the truck show. In May, we have uh, the CMC. So we're probably going to spend, you know, five or six months or so, eh, maybe four or five out on the road. And since I'm going to be near the East Coast and have some time, uh, I have an open invitation to go out to Michelin, their test track, which I have a ball when I go out there. Uh, plus, I get access to their engineers and their shops. And that is definitely a question on my list. They they have the numbers. They just don't publish them because right. and they they I'm sure they have it. They don't have it for every tire, but I bet they could give me a pretty good idea or an average to work from. And, and I think that would be valuable information. Yeah. Yeah. Again, something I've been wondering for a while and can't seem to get an answer to. Hey, one yeah. more quick thing, if you have a, if you have a second. Go ahead. I was watching a show on Velocity Channel uh, called Fifth Gear. It's uh, you know one of those car shows. They were doing oil analysis on a gasoline uh, Golf uh, GTI Volkswagen, mm -hmm. little four cylinder, and they were doing performance testing. They uh, did oil analysis, clean, clean. They analyzed their clean oil, you know, unused oil, new oil, uh, 14.5 was the viscosity. Then they analyzed their used oil that was the same brand, uh, 10,000 miles on it, regular daily driving. Viscosity was, I think it was 12.3 maybe. They had uh, 32 parts per million copper and 50-something parts per million iron. They did performance testing with the old oil and the, and the new oil. And they ran the quarter mile in 17.8 with the old oil and 17.3 with the new oil. Their explanation huh. was the copper and iron in the old oil actually hurts performance. It actually adds friction is what they claimed. Uh, Interesting. That kind of makes some sense. I wish I had more time. We might have to talk about that again. I've got to get out of here. The clock is telling me so. Be safe, be profitable, do the hard work, and master the journey. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Thanks. Your taxes, your truck, and your road to success in the trucking industry. This is Trucking Business and Beyond, the show that puts the money where it belongs, back in your pocket. Welcome to the program. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. The website is letstruck.com. The show, it's all about the business of trucking. We take your calls and we answer your questions about trucks, money, fuel mileage, maintenance, tires, taxes, technology. As a matter of fact, if you've been curious about anything or have questions about something, 
give me a call. I'll take a shot. If I can't answer it, maybe somebody else listening can. We're going to, you know what I think we're going to do? I think we're just going to jump right into some phone calls tonight. Let's get started in Tennessee. Mark, welcome to the program. How are you doing, Kevin? Good. What's on your mind today? We're looking at our oil samples. All right. Tell me a little bit about the uh, truck. What engine and what year? It's an 07 International with the Cummins. 07 ISX. All right. Let's see what we've got. Well, it looks like we had a very nasty oil sample in November. Um, We had all kinds of problems. Over seven on the soot, which... That might be the highest I have ever seen. Uh, The viscosity was almost 20, 19.9. That's because of all the soot that was in there. The oxidation was off the charts. Um, It was, uh, we had some nitration going on. Our wear metals were all climbing. Uh, Just an ugly sample. So since November, what's changed on the truck? Well, what happened is there, I blew my EGR valve and took it to uh, Pittsburgh Power, and then uh, I called you, but I got that previous sample. We changed oil, and now we're at the 10,000 mark oil on that sample. Got it. Okay. The good news is it looks much, much better. Uh, Soot's at 1.4. For an ISX, that's actually good. For an 07 ISX, if we can keep soot under 2, we're doing good. Um, you know, some of the other engines, you'll hear me talk about soot levels at 0.1, less than 0.1. Those are six NZ cats and Detroit's really tuned well. Uh, so 1.4, not horrible, but that's on 10,000 miles. If we were to go to 25,000, um, I'm going to be more interested in seeing if that soot keeps building at that same rate we're going to end up at uh, about four at 25,000 miles, which would be a bad sign. So right now it looks okay, but we have to remember that's only 10,000 miles. So what we need to do is get more miles on this so we have a better comparison. Uh, It's possible that that soot will stay right there. Some trucks you see an early increase in soot and then it kind of levels out. But if it continues at the same pace that it is, I would say we still have something in this truck that's causing excessive amounts of soot. Okay, I'll keep an eye on it. I'm going to sample in 5,000 miles. Yeah, that, that's, you know, when we have a problem, and I know it, it's, you know, cost you a little bit more money, but I think it's money well spent to track it at shorter intervals, and it, it will kind of give us a, a heads up on what's really going on. So, if you do another one in 5,000, call me back, and we'll see what's going on with the trend. All right. Thank you, sir. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Let's head off to Charlotte. Jim, welcome to the program. Uh, hey, Kevin. You know, we, what's up we today? Got back from, yeah, we got back from that Naples uh, Sprint Triathlon. Did pretty did okay on that. Excellent. Excellent. Um, that had to be a great experience, huh? Uh, it wasn't because well, I'm doing it mostly. My wife's interested. So I did it. She, I, I grew up swimming and she didn't. So she mostly wanted me to do it with her because swimming in the ocean of all it shot. It was actually even at seven in the morning. It was choppy oh, wow. out there. 
Ah, yeah. You know, that's always a shock for people who train primarily in pools, you know, because there's so much control in a pool. The temperature's controlled, the humidity, the wind. You, you don't have any of those factors, no waves. You get out in your first triathlon, and not only do you have all the the wind, the waves, the fact that you're in the ocean freaks some people out. Uh, and, and then you've got bodies everywhere. People are swimming over top of you and under you, and it, it can get a little crazy out there. Well, I have to say, we it, it started at right at 7 when the sun is not quite, it's, it's just coming up. So when you're thinking, why in the world are we jumping into like 67 <laughs> degree water? <laughs> it's 7 that's o'clock right. on a week. You know, that's, it's a little tough, but... I'm glad yeah. I did it with her. It's good to stay in shape. You know, she really is into it, so I'm glad I uh, did good. that with her, actually. But um, I I was calling today. I just wanted to really um, re-emphasize uh, how grateful I am that you have your, you know, you, you're kind of like you say, you started all these um, spinoffs, like on Facebook and these podcasts. And, and this week, I for the first time, uh, I, I called in Kenny Long's uh, podcast, about the trucking with authority. Right. And I was actually shocked. I had hired Nasta because I, I think I've told you before, I hate paperwork and I'll pay anything not to do it. You know, there's almost right. no price too high to not be <laughs> doing paperwork. I, I know. Yeah, I so, get it. So, yeah. So I figure, well, Nasta, I'm sure they, they've been doing this a long time. So when you mentioned like four states that you like, New Mexico, uh, Oregon, um, he said, even like in New Jersey, like if you if you pick up or deliver a load, some of them like Texas, you have to have a permit if you haul in trustrate, not interstate. But if you pick up and deliver in Texas, you need a permit for that. But what really struck me is, you know, we we have hauled loads to and from New Jersey um, before, and he said if you you don't have to, it doesn't have to pick up and deliver New Jersey. It can it can be either one. And if you don't have a New Jersey specific permit that's outside of the IFTA. They can, and they have impounded trucks before. So when he said that kind of stuff, I quickly called Nastic the next day, and I said, you guys are on top of it, all these states, aren't you? And they said, oh, no, no, we're just filing your federal authority. So I said, well, you, you don't you think you should have at least mentioned them to me if I'm supposed to do them? And, and they said, well, we'll look into it. So I, I really am lucky that I had listened to that this week, and I'm actually working on, the, on those as I'm talking to you right now. Um, so, so, I mean, there's really no... I mean, what what more can I say? You really, you, you who knows how much time or hassle you might have saved me by having that program. Yeah, and not just yeah. you, obviously. Kenny Kenny gets a lot of the credit, but I mean that all that oh. all started with you, obviously. Yeah, and, and you know, look, I I love what we do, and and I've realized that there's so much good information out there, and people need it, and audio. It's just the best format for people who drive a lot. I mean, it's just a great way to, you know, listen to multiple podcasts. You got lots of time to listen, but the, but the credit has to go to Kenny. Kenny has done just such an amazing job. He's so conscientious. He researches everything I, a lot like I do. I mean, Kenny doesn't want to give out bad information and I don't either. So he works really hard to dig deep and, and not just do the stuff on the surface, which is kind of what Nastic did. Nastic said, well, you hired us to do this and we did it. Yeah, but you could have gone a little farther. And that's what Kenny does. He just, he goes way deeper than what he needs to or what he could get away with. And he provides great information. And, 
you know, all the hosts are doing a great job. I'm not too concerned about somebody's voice or do they have good radio delivery? I, I don't care too much about that. It's a nice extra. People will develop that over time. Um, that's the beauty of podcasting. You know, radio, traditional radio is so focused on the format. You got to have a good voice, good delivery, good timing. You've got to be somewhat entertaining. And we have to stick to all these things about, you know, mentioning what time it is and what channel you're on. And all that stuff to me is just garbage. It, I, all I want to listen to somebody for is the information. So w one good example for me, have you ever listened to Clark Howard? No, I haven't. Clark Howard, I think he, he, he bills himself as the consumer warrior. Clark Howard had a show similar to mine in that he covered all kinds of topics, but his wasn't around an industry. His was just life. I mean, you can call him about cell phones, credit cards, real estate, law. The guy is an absolute wealth of knowledge in every area I can think of. And he's got a great talk show. He's also on TV now. Um, but in the beginning, his voice was so bad. He had this high-pitched, kind of squealy, whiny voice. And I used to think, how does this guy make it in radio? We made it because his information was absolutely top-notch, accurate, good. And over the years, his voice has improved. He's still not, you know, somebody who would say has a great radio voice, but he's much easier to listen to than he used to. So our idea is the podcast is for information. If we can get the other stuff right, great. But in the beginning, we want to focus on information. And um, since you brought it up, we have a great podcast starting this Sunday night. Uh, Mike and Kevin Beckett are going to be doing a one-hour podcast every week. I'm going to get to a break. When I come back, uh, I'm going to come back to you, Jim. We'll talk about that a little bit and see if you had anything else. Stick around. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Before the break, I was talking with Jim and Charlotte. We were talking about uh, a lot of the new podcasts we're starting. And I mentioned that um, this Sunday, uh, starting every Sunday, but one of the things we're going to do, I want to tell you about this, is we are going to record 10 weeks of podcasts for Mike and Kevin Beckett before we release any of them. There's a reason we're going to do that, and I don't want to spend too much time on it. So if you want to hear those shows in the beginning, the only way you'll be able to hear them for the first 10 weeks is to actually be a part of the call. And, and we'll be sending out emails, posting it on Facebook. Sunday during our live show, I'll remind you about it. 
Uh, and then after we get 10 shows all done, we'll release them all and you'll be able to go back and listen to them anytime you want. So uh, thanks for the feedback, Jim. I, I appreciate that because as we grow this, you know, the more feedback we can get, the better we're going to be able to be at this. Yeah, no, they, the only thing I would have to wonder, you know, they, we're, we've been off, you know, for a few weeks while I'm doing all this, and I get very distracted by all these Facebook groups. You know, if you comment on one, the computer will start beeping, every, you, know, you know, quick. I'll get, just like you said, with I should read your book because it should be very easy for me to fill out four states of special permits like New Mexico, Oregon, um, I forgot the other ones, but uh, uh, Kentucky. Kentucky. And I, and I, and I've, this is, yeah, this is my second day because I get so distracted by everything else in life that I can't believe I haven't got these simple things in the mail or, or apply, you know, Kentucky's just has to be through the mail. But maybe I, I don't read a lot of books, so maybe I should read that one you were talking about, it, but, you know, because I, I have a good. worst. Yeah, focusing for me is impossible. You know, I, I, I believe, honestly, that that is the sign of a very active mind. You know, there are some people who just they, they don't think about a lot of things and that, and that, you know, isn't a criticism at all. But then there are other people and, and I've known them. They just are very, very curious about everything. They love to learn. And when you're like that, and that's me. It is so easy to get distracted because you're interested in almost everything. You know, I, I can find interest in, in almost anything. And, and that can become a problem if you don't learn how to control it. And yes. I, this book is really, really starting to help me be aware of when it's happening and, and, and just see that it's happening and realize, you know, I don't have to go do that. I can either make a note of it. Maybe I'll look at it later. But what I need to focus on is, is this right now. I'm like you with paperwork. I'll pay anybody anything, especially when it comes to government agencies. I just had an experience the other day um, that it, it just a simple, we have four properties and um, they're all together, but they were all separate addresses. We bought them at different times and I want to put them all together because I need to get a building permit to build on all of the land. Should be pretty simple. I called right. the county recorder just to make sure, you know, I was doing it right. And I said, I, I'm going to do this with a quick claim deed. Is that okay? Well, I'm sorry, we can't tell you what form to use. And I said, really? I, I have to submit the form to you. Why can't you tell me? And she says, well, that's a legal question because there are more than one form that could work and we're not allowed to give advice on which one. And I said, I guarantee you, if I come in with the wrong form, you'll tell me it's wrong, right? Well, of course we would. You can tell me the wrong form, but you can't tell me the right one. That just drove me insane. And getting answers out of them was like pulling teeth. Yeah, Drive. no, that's I, I, I totally get that. Yeah, I, I'm the same way. It, paperwork in general, and if I have to deal with the government office, I, I would just rather pay somebody to go do it. But I am trying to learn a little patience around those things. Well, I can't with my experience with NAFTA. I'm not bashing NAFTA. I think that what, what they, they've got a very smart business model because they're 80 percent there. And because of that, there's a huge income. I mean, e even with the fuel discount, they charge two fifty a year. But and they and they brag to me that they're they're like TA's biggest customer. Period. And then I so I compared three of their prices with my Roadrunner prices, and they're ten cents a gallon more on all of them. So I'm like, these guys are making two fifty, yeah. and and then you know we buy seven hundred gallons a week as a team, and that's that's uh, seventy dollars a week. You know, on top right. of that, so I'm. 
So there, you, you may have, just like with Kenny and with the fuel, you know, I, I wonder sometimes long-term if, if there's an opportunity for you to sort of bundle a service together that would be a little more a, a cut above, you know? So, We're looking at it. And, you know, it. Yeah, if you look at the progression of products for us, we usually start with giving really good advice about something first. For example, I gave advice about fuel mileage for years and years. And then we developed products around it, fuel gauges. I I gave really good advice for years and years about it accounting. We developed a product around it. Um, That will happen here. I mean, that is the natural progression. We're giving good advice about rates and lanes and authority and brokers. And ultimately, there will come a seminar around all of those things like the CMC, but slightly different. And we will develop some products and services around those things. We just like to... We're, we're, that is one area that I can be very patient in. I mean, I, I am able to, set, you know, three to five year business goals and kind of stick to them so that we do everything right. Right. Yeah. Well, I just got to thinking I would rather if, I, if I'm going to need a fuel program and instead of your specific sponsors, I personally I think I've told you this. I, I don't know if I've heard from you on it. And I don't know if you want to come. I don't care if you don't comment. But let me just say. I would rather have you get money off of, you know, I don't mind paying you a certain amount per year just because you've helped me so much. And I intend to actually uh, just to help support what you do. And and I would rather have you funded that way than through recommending products. Um, You know, I'd rather have you make, you know, a few cents a gallon off of a fuel program or something like that, because, because you're buying fuel every single day. So it sounds, it's not a lot that it wouldn't be anything that people would really notice because you're still getting a better deal, even with tires, any of these things. I I would love to see it go that way. So, but I won't take any more time today, but I, I'll just uh, thank you again. And that's it. Well, I I appreciate it. I really do. And and we're looking at models like that. You know, the the business is always uh, evolving and, and we are looking at models where, uh, not quite. So we do love a lot of our industry partners. We really do. And and it, it's more, many of those relationships are much more than just a product or a paycheck for us. Certainly our, our, our ISPs, our industry solution partners, uh, support us financially. There's no question. Um, but they've also been there. For example, I just talked about Michelin, you know, giving me access to their test track, to their research facilities, to their engineers, to all their data, uh, that's a, a huge partnership for us. And, and so we still value those a lot. Pittsburgh Power, I mean, I, I, can't, I, I can't say enough about how much I've learned from them and how much they support us. And, and Mike Beckett and MD Alignment, same thing. I get more information from many of our, our sponsors and partners than we do money. So we're always looking at uh, new ideas. Love the feedback, so thanks. Let's go to Nevada. Mike, welcome to the program. Hello. I am calling because I'm doing my 2014 taxes on profit gauges, and I decided with the old truck purchase that I made that I'm going to uh, enter the truck information. And if I'm reading this right, I may not be. Uh, The uh, depreciation for tractors is three years. So if I bought a truck for $15,000, does that mean that I divvy up that over three years? That would be logical. That would be very, very logical. Uh, But remember, it's the IRS. So let me explain 
how that would work. Um, and $15,000 should be an easy number for me to do this with. Even though it's a three-year schedule, and you are correct, uh, uh, what we drive in this industry is called a highway tractor, not a truck. If you look up a truck in the guides, it's five years, but they're referring to straight trucks and trucks that run around local. An over-the-road truck is a highway tractor, and it is what's called a three-year property. But because the IRS wants to confuse everything, in the first year that you buy something, you can only depreciate a half a year. That's just their rule. Now, if you buy it too late in the year, in the last quarter, technically you can only depreciate one quarter of the vehicle then. But uh, let's not even go there yet. Let's just say you bought it, you know, in June or January even. Even if you buy it in the first month, you still only get to claim half a year of depreciation. That's the most you can ever claim in your first year. So if we bought a truck for 15000 and we use what's called straight line depreciation, which is the most even across time, we would have to take and break it down first into three years. So that's $5,000 each year. Then we would have to take that first year and break it in half. So now we only get 2500 the first year. Then we get 5000 the second year, 5000 the third year, and then the fourth year, we get to take the other half that we didn't get to take in the first year. So we get another twenty five hundred. Have I confused you yet? Uh, well, I'm, I'm eating away at it. Uh, the most important thing is that uh, we're talking about uh, twenty five hundred dollars for the first year. And I can cipher through that uh, for working with 2014 profit gauges. But in uh, next year, I'll, I'll get back to the problem. Okay. Okay, so Got I guess it. that helps me. Thanks yep. a lot. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Oh, That's how that works. The IRS has to convolute everything, and they just make depreciation way more complicated than it really needs to be. But... That's government. They do it all the time. That's how they get job security. The more complicated they make things, the more people they need, the bigger budget they need. And that's the only way government grows. Stick around. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. The website is let's.com. We're going to get right back to some phone calls. We're going to go to Indiana. Jason, welcome to the program. Yes, sir, Kevin. Good to talk to you again. Um, yeah. Numbers entered into uh, profit gauges. Excellent. And so uh, the report I'm looking at is June to June to. Oh, no. OK, got it. The whole year. Never mind. Um, Could be through the year. Yeah. yeah. All right. So, how many months total was this? This uh, middle of June until the end of the year. So we got, got 
uh, you know, six and a half months. Yeah. So we've got, uh, we're tracking just under 58,000 miles and your total revenue for all of those miles. And I, I just want to remind everybody when we talk about mileage and, uh, revenue per mile and cost per mile profit gauges, the way we recommend doing it is on every single mile you put on the truck, whether it's going to the garage, taking it home, whatever. We track all the miles, then we do the math. And your number for all miles came out to $1.80 in revenue. That is outstanding. Now, you have a really nice breakdown. You put in you know, all the different types of revenue you get. You have line haul, you have your fuel surcharge. You've got, you know, over dimension, stop, pay, tarp charges. You've really broken it out. Detention. So you can see every different way you got paid. Um, and it came out to $1.80 a mile, which is excellent. Um, then we move down to your fixed cost. Those are the things you have to pay every month, whether the truck moves or not. Uh, things like insurance, um, tax and license fees, your uh, trailer lease, your truck loan. And all in all, you're paying 29 cents a mile on those fixed costs. Now, here's the other thing to remember. One of the quickest ways to lower a fixed cost is really just go work more. The more miles you drive, the lower your fixed costs become as a cost per mile. Um, not always the best strategy, but it, it, it's just a way that we know if we need to get that cost down per mile, we can do that. Then we move on to your uh, variable cost, the things that change based on how many miles you put on the truck, fuel, maintenance, things like that. Uh, first thing we like to look at is fuel. Uh, for the six months, you were at 52 cents a mile, right about middle of the road. You know, we see people up over 60. We some, see some people in the second half of the year that got down under 40, actually. Uh, so there's probably some room for improvement there. Um, maintenance is really high. My guess is it's just because you bought the truck and, and you've just been doing a lot to it in the beginning. Is that what's going on? Yes, sir. I've put a power box on it. I had to get a clutch changed in it. Uh, several things like that. That have, I mean, I, it doesn't seem out of, out of the ordinary or out of the uh, yeah. One of the things you can do, and it's a good way to play around with your numbers, is when you have some time and you're interested and you feel like working on numbers, go back in and take out anything that is either an upgrade or a modification, like the power box. That's a clear upgrade modification. You didn't have to do that. You chose to do it because there is a payoff. But take that cost out of your numbers for now. And anything that you can clearly say will last you more than a year, uh, for example, tires, even uh, uh, that clutch, that clutch might last the life of this truck. Now, if you drive it right and take care of it. And if you get some of those numbers out and, and look at the breakdown and maintenance kind of stuff, you know, we uh, we blew a wheel. So we had to replace it. And, and that wheel still might last a year. But we don't count things like that in, in that over-the-year stuff because it's just small. That's maintenance and breakdown kind of stuff. And then take a look. It, and what we'd like to see is, is to get under $0.10 cents a mile on those things. And, and the reason to go look at it now, if you wait long enough, 
your numbers will start to reflect that more accurate number over time. But if you go do it now, we might be able to spot a potential problem. You know, is there, uh, are we spending too much on maintenance? Is there someplace we can look? So just another way when you have time to go in and play around. Um, what do you list under supplies? Uh, supplies, that's going to include any straps and tarps, chains. Got uh, it. Okay. Any, you know, even oil. I think I've been putting some oil and stuff even under that. Yeah, and that's uh, okay. It, it, where you put things is more of a personal preference. Um, what the one thing I do try to tell people though, is wherever you choose to put it is okay. Just be consistent. Um, if we put oil one time under fuel, because it just happened to be on the same receipt and it was easier then the next time we put it under maintenance because we bought a case of oil and we think, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to use that for maintenance. And then the next time we think, well, that sounds like a supply. If we start getting them spread out all over the place, our numbers just won't make any sense. Whether you put it under maintenance, repairs, supplies, doesn't matter. Just be consistent so that you know what you're looking at. So we can see your total cost of operation, everything down to uniforms, toll, supply, scales, physicals, fuel, fees, maintenance, truck payments, everything combined. You're spending a dollar three a mile and you were making. Uh, Oh, no, wait a minute. If we put in, that was just your, if we put in fixed cost as well, we're up to $1.32 a mile to operate the truck and you're generating revenue uh, up over $1.80. So we're at 50 cents a mile in your first six months. That is outstanding. That That is a great number. Um, I, I see people who have been doing this for years haven't those numbers yet. Yeah, and this has also has my truck payments in there, the uh, down payment I put yeah. on the truck in that, all of those. Oh, yeah. In there. And if I take those out, I'm down at $1.15 to run the truck. Oh, fantastic. So, so we know that right now your numbers are good, and we know uh, unless something goes radically wrong, and I don't see that happening, we know your numbers in the next six months will be even better. And, and the six months after that, they should improve as well. Yes. Uh, and I'm, you know, I'm learning the system here where I'm leased onto as well. And I'm sure that these numbers will all improve. I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, it's outstanding. I, I love to see somebody that gets started right. It, it, it's so refreshing to see somebody, you know, in their first six months have so much success. I love that because think of all the potential now. Yeah, and I want to say thank you to you and the Let's Truck team. Boy, you've got a great system here. It's uh, such a big help. Um, and all the people that have helped me get started with the mentor team, uh, Rick and Melissa, and then Jeff helping coach me some, too. Got to have breakfast with him the other day. It was just great. Uh, um, it's been, yeah. I just thank you so much. Well, thank you for the feedback. And, and I also want to thank the mentors and, and Rick and Melissa Grimm and all the mentor team that that to help people they don't get paid that's all voluntary we ask a lot of them and they always step up to the plate the other thing i want to say is is many of our mentors are, are not 30 year veterans some of them aren't even 10 year veterans but they know what they know really well and they're very good at teaching it and i i had a whole segment the other day where i talked about experience 
And I just put a lot of emphasis on how many years somebody has been doing something, because this is a great example. Um, Jason, six months as an owner operator, much more qualified to help people get started than people I know that have been owner operators for 20 years, but haven't put any real effort into learning how to do things better. Uh, So time not a big factor for me. Results are what I look for. Let's go to uh, Texas. Lewis, welcome to the program. Hello, Kevin. Hey there. So, I'd like to thank you for what you do. And I've, I've, I've got a question. I've got a, I've got a C15 and an 04 Pete uh, with an 18 speed and 355 gears. And I'm running 24 fives. And I had a fellow that was asking me about switching. He had 22 fives, and he wanted the 24 fives. And for some reason, I was thinking that 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 you recommended the 22 fives over the 24 I fives. I do. That okay. would be a great trade for you. Uh, it's going to improve everything for you. Rolling resistance will go down. We have better choices of tires in 22 fives. Some of the best tires on the market aren't even available in 24 fives. So, yeah, it's a okay. great for you. He's probably making a mistake, but we won't tell him that. Okay. That sounds good, then. That's what I was thinking, then. I appreciate it. Thank you, for, thank you for all you do for us out here. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. I'm going to get to a break. When we come back, we've got one more segment, so don't go away. We'll be right back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Welcome back. I'm Kevin Rutherford. We are down to the final segment, so I'm going to get right back to some phone calls. Let's go to Wisconsin. Adam, welcome to the program. Hi, Kevin. How are you doing? Doing great. What can I help you with today? Hey, uh, first thing I want to do is I just want to compliment Pittsburgh Power. I bought my first product from them about three weeks ago. I bought a uh, dampener and balancer from them. Um, and uh, a great customer service. The first one they sent out to me, you know, it didn't fit my truck. Uh, somehow they had the box marked wrong. Called them up. It was three in the afternoon on Friday. <clears throat> Talked to them. They had me another one sitting at my front door at 9 a.m. Saturday morning, ready to go on the truck. Oh, fantastic. Uh, no, no questions asked, you know, just, uh, you know, great product. You know, smoothed my truck right out. Um, and great customer service. I just want to throw that out there. And I got uh, uh, I actually got two questions for you real quick. And you might just, you know, you can tell me it's just electrical. That's probably what it is. 
Uh, first one is, is as uh, as I'm coming down a steep grade and I, I let off my jack brakes, you know, I got a jack brakes kick and I, I get an engine light, uh, a check engine light comes on. And as soon as I come off the grade, and if I'm running the jakes on flat ground, it don't come on. Um, and as soon as I, I, I kind of hit the bottom of the grade, it goes off. There's no engine codes or anything that throws. And I can't seem to figure it out. That is bizarre. Um, not so much the fact that it comes on with the Jake brake, but that it comes on with the Jake brake only going downhill. Um, yeah. What engine was this? This is a 60 series DDEC 4 pre-EGR. That is the engine that I am most familiar with. I was going to say if this is an ISX, you know, some of the issues on the ISX is just really difficult. That's a complicated yeah. engine. The Series 60 is it. It's pretty simple. I, I, had a, I was wondering if maybe it was overhead. I mean, overhead hadn't been run in, in quite some time, probably 60,000 miles, you know. Uh, you know, if it's done right uh, in nothing, you know, if everything was tightened properly, 60,000 miles isn't a lot on an overhead. I, I've seen some of them. I've had trucks where I've watched the overhead, you know, watch my performance, watch my oil samples, watch my fuel mileage, three and 400,000 in the overhead was still set. Okay. Other trucks I have seen it get wiped out in 30,000 miles, you know, something either didn't get right or who knows it is a possibility. And it's certainly, we're probably going to have to get into the overhead at some point to try to troubleshoot this. Although I don't think, I would spend a lot of money on this right now. I, I might just kind of okay. wait this one out a little bit. It's not causing any other issues, right? The Jake's still working, right? The, the only other issue I got now is my second question is uh, my engine oil temperature. Um, when I mash off the throttle, my engine oil temperature starts dropping down. The further I mash on, the further my temperature gauge goes down. I let off of it, and it goes right back to normal. And it does oh, it on wow. a cruise, too. <laughs> right. So tell me, we know it's a Detroit. Is this a Columbia? Uh, no, it's not. It's actually a 2000 model Peterbilt 377. Huh. Oh, the, the Freightliner products, we know that they have some issues with their uh, the ECM port being down on the floor where it is. It, it it actually gets corrosion in from the backside of it and the rubber cap we put on, it actually makes it worse because it holds it all in the condensation and we get a lot of corrosion and we start to see some really odd electrical issues. And, and because almost everything is, is in that port, you know, all, all everything we need to read in the ECM just about is coming through that port. And if you oh, start yeah. getting corrosion and, and wires start crossing because of the corrosion, or we get voltage drops. We get really, really weird stuff going on, which is kind of, you've got some odd things happening here. I mean, I can't imagine that your oil temperature is actually changing that fast. And, and if it is, I can't figure out why. Um, yeah, my my like, pressure, you know, I watch it all the rest of my gauge and you know, all my oil pressure runs right around 40. You know, my water temperature is about uh, 180. Do you happen to have a scan gauge? I do have a scan gauge. Have you checked the, can you read the oil temperature on your scan gauge? Uh, I don't think this is the scan gauge D. I haven't been able to get the KR yet. You know what to do? Um, 
Linear Logic is the company that makes that. If you send them your D and tell them I said it was good, they did this in the beginning, but they'll still do it now if I tell them. Send them the D. They'll upgrade it for you and even put a new faceplate on it, and it'll be exactly the same as the KR. They'll put our software in it. They'll put a new faceplate on it. I think they charge like 25 or 30 bucks. Yeah, um, the best one. It, yeah. And then the other thing you can do is if if you don't have oil temperature, um, you can use the Xcode function. And, and in the okay. book, it explains it. We even have some videos about it. And it's very possible that the temperature is in the ECM. And even if it isn't showing up now, we can get it. And what that okay. would do is it would it would help us eliminate the gauge as being part of the problem. Because in the in the scan gauge, we're reading directly from the ECM. There's no mechanical gauge involved. So it's just one more way of troubleshooting sometimes. We, we use the scan gauge a lot for troubleshooting. So I think you've clearly got some weird electrical issue going on. I would probably for now, this is one of those things I would hate to take to a Peterbilt dealer and say, fix this. This is one of the arm and a leg. (laughs) You end up with a $3,000 bill and nothing's fixed. And and that drives me nuts. I would either wait this one out and see if we can, you know, maybe something else will present itself. I would do some really good um, electrical maintenance. I, I would clean the battery cables and posts really well, get some dielectric grease on them. Follow all the lines out and check all your connections at the ECM uh, for corrosion, loose plugs, bent pins. I would clean up all your uh, grounds and yes, and get really good, grind them right down to good, solid connections. Again, put dielectric grease back on them. Many times, that process alone, we might go through it and say, oh, you know, there was a little bit of corrosion here and there. I didn't see anything major, but all of a sudden the problem's gone. I've seen okay. that that fix electrical problems. If it doesn't, no loss. It's just great maintenance anyway. I mean, it's a good thing to do. Um, okay. If that doesn't work, I would wait it out till it presents itself in a new way that's maybe easier to troubleshoot. Or the only shop I would ever give this truck to and say, see if you can figure it out, would be Pittsburgh Power. Okay, that sounds good. That sounds like a plan. Y'all uh start cleaning up some wires and uh, talk to linear logic and, and go from there. Thank you very much, Kevin. You're welcome. Thanks for the call. Uh, you know what? I'm looking at the clock and we're, we're just about out of time here. So I'm going to, uh, I'm going to run us to the end of the show and uh, several things I want to talk about the book club, the, the road scholar. That's one of our new podcasts. Um, I talked earlier in the week about Mike Beckett's new show coming up and how we're going to do 10 episodes before we release any of them. Um, We did release our first episode of Road Scholar, which was Larry Wingett's book. Uh, It's called Work for a Reason. So if you want to go to the website, letstruck.com, you can listen to that book review and that interview with Larry Wingett. Larry Wingett's always good. Um, But we're not going to release any more episodes again until we hit 10. And there is a reason for this. It has to do with the ratings in iTunes and how it will help people find our new shows. If we can get a higher rating, it helps new people find those shows. 
And we need to get numbers. Uh, it's just as simple as that. We, we really want to this network work. I will tell you right now, it is a huge black hole when it comes to money. It is all expense and virtually no revenue. I'm okay with that. We know that someday if we do this right, it will pay off. I'm actually looking at about a 30 to 36 month timeline on when it will pay off if we do everything right. If we screw things up, it could take longer. But the one thing you could really help us with, and it doesn't cost you anything, uh, and it will pay off. The one thing you can really help us with is listen to the podcast. Now, clearly, if you listen to one and you don't like it, it's not an interest interesting topic for you or for whatever reason. If you don't like it, don't listen to it. I'm not asking you to suffer. I'm asking you to give it a shot. See if you like them. Listen to a couple. See what you think. And the other thing that is a really big help for us is if you will review the podcast as well. And, and I'd love to see a written review uh, in iTunes, you know, but but even just scoring us for stars will help us understand. I mean, if I see a one star, I clearly know you didn't like it. I'd love it if you'd give me a couple reasons why. If I see a five star, I know you love it. And again, I'd really like it if you could give me a couple reasons why. That will, believe it or not, that that is the best way right now you could support our podcast network. Just go listen and review for us. Thanks for joining me. Thanks for all your time and your feedback. And we'll see you back here next time. Be safe. Be profitable. Do the hard work and master the journey. Good night, everyone. I'm Kevin Rutherford. Thanks for tuning in to The Audio Road. If you have any questions, give us a call at 855-800-FUEL. That's 855-800-3835. Check out the website at letstruck.com and find us on facebook.com slash letstruck.